Well, I've just been self-isolating. I don't know about you, but I, they let me out today. Um, I have been one of the hundreds of thousands of people that have had to self-isolate over the last little while. And I decided to make the most of it, so I subscribed to Disney+. Plus. Um, and uh, I've got four boys, and we've gone for basically the whole of the pandemic without Disney+, Plus. but I finally cracked. Um, not for my children, but for me, because I am very much into the Marvel films, like the franchise. Anyone else into the Avengers and that sort of thing? A few little hands. So I've been, I've been watching a lot of the Avengers, um, catching up on films that I had missed, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, um, and uh, the Avengers Endgame, and, and all of these things. And they are, they are very good films. Um, the plot of every single one is basically the same thing, which is that there is some kind of alien who comes to invade, and the heroes have to defeat them and fight them. And, you know, watching film after film after film of these people courageously defeating their enemies made me want to have some kind of arch enemy. And, of course, I realize that I do have an arch enemy, and I work with him very closely. But um, I've also been thinking about, you know... Um, what sort of battles we fight. Because, because for most of us, we probably wouldn't use the language of, I have a whole load of enemies. But probably most of us would also say that life at times is incredibly challenging and we have to fight certain battles. And that got me to think about the battle that most of us will find ourselves fighting at one point or another around fear. And uh, fear as an enemy. We're, we're obviously living in fearful times, and you can, you can lift restrictions with legislation, but lots of the fear that we've experienced over the last 18 months will linger on for some time. Um, and even COVID aside, you know, we, many of us will find ourselves struggling at times with fear for one reason or another. And I think I've twigged, for me personally, just only really in the last little while, about how fear can be an incredibly destructive and in, a really formidable foe to have to come up against. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you are overwhelmed with worry or with, with um, angst, um, with nerves, with stress, but it doesn't usually help the situation, does it? So I've got, I've got various examples I could use. One would be when I did my first ever driving test um, and uh, I, I had practiced and I had paid for my lessons and I'd done all that stuff and, and I was ready, I was ready. Um, but then I got in the car with the, with the instructor and suddenly I was terrified to the point where, I'm embarrassed to admit this to you, but my, my, the, the foot that you used on the clutch was physically shaking up and down as I did it. Um, and you can imagine how smooth the gear changes were when that was what was going on. And, and all the coordination that I thought I had, uh, reverse parking and all that sort of stuff just absolutely abandoned me to the point where I failed my first ever driving test with three majors and 11 minors. Um, for those who don't know, that's, that's terrible. My first two majors were actually for speeding as well, of all things, in a driving test. But I was just panicking. Um, and I, I, again, another thing that comes to mind when fear doesn't always help you out is, is when you do an exam. So for many of us, the last exam we took might have been a while ago, but we can probably still remember the feeling. And, you know, you turn to your friend before you get into the exam hall and they say to you, how are you feeling? How do you think it's going to go? And my answer was usually, it just depends on the questions. You know, I've learned some of it. So if I get some questions, I'm going to be okay. But I also know if I get a whole load of other questions, we're going to have a major problem. And then the first thing I would do when I sat down in an exam hall and they said, you can look at the paper, is I would flick through all the way to the back to see, how's it landing? 
landed. And um, how did you feel when it landed with all the wrong questions? Did you sit there calmly and think, I have been educated for this moment, I have been trained, I'm going to be fine? Or did you, like most of the rest of us, start to panic? And did you find that the panic helped? I found no. I was not sitting there thinking, what does happen when I mix this chemical with that chemical? I'm thinking, why does the world hate me? Or um, when did this king die? I'm thinking, my mum is going to kill me. That's, that's where my head goes. And of course, then you, you, you're going to really struggle. And so fear um, is, is in many ways, when we face a challenge, fear is the first battle that we, we actually have to fight. The first challenge is actually not the driving test, it's the fear that you're feeling when you're faced with the test. The test almost is a separate thing. The, the first challenge when you've got to deal with conflict is not the person you're talking to, but it's the fear of that conversation, the fear of what might go wrong, the fear of how we'll react in that moment. And so all of us will find ourselves at one time or another fighting fear. And I've been reading recently um, the story of the Exodus which really puts any Marvel film to shame. It's like, this is the most wonderful story of God rescuing Israel who were slaves in Egypt, and he does it in style. 10 plagues that utterly destroy the Egyptians, that lead them to kind of finally giving in and giving, giving Israel their freedom. And um, they experience this miraculous salvation that is very literal. Very, very real for them. They were born into slavery, this generation. They'd never known a day of freedom in their lives. And suddenly they're told to pack their bags up and move house. It's as real as moving house, but more so. It's more like being let out of jail. They experience this concrete freedom that is a result of divine, miraculous intervention that they have witnessed firsthand. The Nile turning to blood, the sun being blotted out, the, the, the frogs that were everywhere. They, they saw it all happen around them firsthand and they are, they are set free. And then they go on this, this what begins the journey and um, within a very short time, the, the fear kind of comes in and, and it, it overtakes them again. And so you may well be familiar with the story, but they go to the Red Sea and they're camping on the shores of the sea when Pharaoh changes his mind and, and comes out with his army to get them. And this is what happens. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? That's sarcasm. They say, um, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So they're out there having just been delivered by God. They look up and they see the Egyptian army. This, this, which was a superpower of the day. This army of trained killers marching towards them. There is no escape route because they're next to a sea. And of course, they panic. And they, they basic, everything that I've just read to you is basically them yelling, we are all going to die. That's their response. And it's a really logical and a really rational response to have were it not for the fact that God had just delivered them. I mean, in any situation, if some people are coming towards you to kill you and there's no escape route, panic is a pretty normal human response in that moment. But um, what they have done is they've removed God, they've taken God out of the picture. They've taken God out of the equation. 
So imagine Novak Djokovic rings me up and says, hey, Andy, I want to partner with you in doubles. What am I going to say? Of course, Novak, I've been waiting for your phone call. And he and I start to play some, some, you know, let's say pretty average players. Now, I'm terrible at tennis, but if I've got the world number one on my team, what's going to happen? We're going to smash them. We're going to absolutely blow them out of the water. He's going to ace them every single time and we'll win. Let's say we win 10 matches in a row. And then the following week, the same people we just beat 10 times come back to us and they say to me and Novak, hey, we want to have a rematch. If at that point I started panicking, we're going to lose this time. We're going to lose this time. Oh my word, we're going to lose this time. You would say to me, that's irrational. You've got Novak on your team. What are you talking about? You just beat them 10 times. What are you talking about? He just proved that he can carry you. What are you talking about? But that's what the Israelites do. They remove God from the picture. He's just shown he's harder than the Egyptians. He's just proved it with plague after plague after plague. And then the moment they face a challenge or an obstacle, fear comes in and they cut him out of the picture. And here is one of the effects of fear. And I suspect all of us experience this. One of the effects of fear is this. It makes us forget about God. It makes us forget about him. We cut him out of the picture, or at the best, we sometimes we shove him to the very edge of it. And our initial response to anything that is a challenge, anything where we feel under attack, or any obstacle that we face, it's normal that we would feel fear. That's really, that's part of being a human being. We don't stop being human beings when we start following Jesus. So our, our initial response will almost always be, I think, fear when you come up against something that's scary. You know, finances are incredibly tight and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. It's a normal thing to be scared. If a relationship has gone wrong and you're really concerned about the other person, it's a normal thing to be scared. If someone you love has been diagnosed with something horrendous, it's a normal thing to be afraid. So we're never going to be a place when we don't experience fear. But what we're invited to as his people is to live in a place where we don't live under the power of fear where it doesn't overwhelm us and distort our perspective and force us into making bad decisions and, and wrong choices, um, where, we do, where we don't just forget about him when, when the fear comes. And so what I've been discovering is that a lot, of the, a lot of the art of living well as his people is the art of learning how to manage fear when it happens, learning how to deal with it well. And this is important not just because bad things will sometimes happen. It's not just about the negative things that come. It's also the fact that God will call us to do things that are beyond ourselves and that will be scary. So one of the things that strikes me about Israel in this moment is they are, they are not off track. They're exactly where they're meant to be. God literally said, camp in this spot next to the sea. They're under attack, not because they've gone in the wrong direction, but because they've gone in the right direction. They're under attack, not because they've done the wrong thing, but because they've done the right thing. And, and for us, what we will find at times is because God's call on our lives is to step into something that's beyond our own gifting, that's beyond our own strength, that, that necessitates that we will need to depend on him sometimes. We will find ourselves not just with challenges coming at us, but with obstacles that seem impossible to us. If we as Soul Survivor Watford are going to see all that we long God to see in our community around us, we'll find ourselves facing obstacles and they will be scary. And so part of learning to step positively into that calling is also going to involve learning how to manage fear well. 
And so one of the questions that I've been asking for myself, really, um, is how can I learn to live from a place of trust rather than a place of fear? And that's really what I want to finish by looking at. How can we learn to live from a place where it's trust um, that, that we're, we're operating from rather than panic and fear? I'm really struck by what Moses says to the people when they're all yelling, we're all going to die. His response is this. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so in many ways, a big part of what he's saying there, first of all, is be still. You need only to be still. Stop. Fear, what it often causes us to do, is run around like a headless chicken. And I imagine the people of Israel, in my mind, they're all running around screaming, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. Um, and, and, and for us, when we're up against something that scares us, um, perhaps not physically we're running around, but I know for me, one of the main words I'd use to describe myself is frantic. Everything's frantic. The emotions are screaming at me. The thoughts are kind of like banging off the inside of my skull like pinballs. And it feels frantic. And so one of the first things to do when we find ourselves just, just almost overwhelmed by that sense of fear is to stop. So listen to what Moses says. Be still. Pause. Take a breath. And there are, there are all these moments in Scripture where this kind of being in his presence and just not doing anything, just being with him is, is commanded. So an, another one of my favorites is Psalm 46, verse 10, where the Lord says, Be still and know that I am God. The way the message puts that particular verse is it says, Step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me. I love that. Step out of the hectic franticness that is threatening to suck you in and take a long, loving look at me. And gathering together in a time like this on a Sunday is obviously an opportunity to do that. But also, if we can develop habits, if we can develop ways of doing this, not just once a week on a Sunday, but regularly in our lives, then we will begin to find that, that we, we thrive even in the midst of stressful and difficult situations. Be still because says Moses, the Lord is going to fight for you. The Lord is. So it's not be still and recognise deep down inside yourself, you can overcome this challenge, but it's look to him. Put your eyes back on him. Remember, fear causes us to forget God and we cut him out of the picture. And part of the, the positive response to that and beginning to win the battle with the fear is to look back at him is to fix our eyes back upon him and almost to centre ourselves around him again. And, and just to finish, there are, there are three things I want to suggest that can be helpful as we, as we seek to put him back in the picture if we have removed them. And there are three things that help us as we do that. They, I've just decided to make them all start with the letter P because that kind of thing pleases me even though nobody else seems to care. Uh, but the three things are the past, the promises and prayer. The past, the promises, and prayer. So first of all, um, to put him back at the centre. To remember again that the Lord fights for us. 
One of the things that's so helpful to do is to practice remembering what God has done, his faithful acts over the years. Israel were told to do this. So through meals and through festivals and through writing things on their doorposts even, they were to practice remembering the acts of God. And and, uh, for us, one of the best places and certainly the first place we wanna go as we seek to do that is, is this book. This is our family history. It's a story in the Old Testament of the people of Israel for sure, but we are part of God's people now. We've been adopted in. And so every time we wake up or whenever it is for you that you choose to read scripture, we're finding ourselves turning through page after page after page of a time that God saw someone no one else saw and reached out to rescue them. Of a time God helped somebody overcome an obstacle that seemed like it was impossible. Of a God who loves us and is so faithful to us that rather than stay up in heaven and shout down a message, he became one of us and he walked among us and he got his hands dirty. Of a God who loves us so much, he didn't just get his hands dirty, he got them nailed to a piece of wood because of us, for us. And he chose it willingly and he doesn't regret it because he wanted to win our hearts. So you know what? We begin to immerse ourselves in the family history and in the acts of our God. And what we'll find is that trust just begins to rise up in us. And it's not just about what we read in the scripture. It's also about his faithfulness today. The fact that, you know, we're not reading this for a history lesson. We're reading this because the point is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The the God that fought for the Israelites by the shores of the Red Sea is the same one that fights for me and for you on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He's the same God. And we can tell one another stories of his faithfulness. I don't don't know about you, but I love hearing from other believers who've been walking with him, stories of his goodness. So just on Friday, we were chatting with a couple that uh, led a church in Southampton for for many years. And they they were telling us some of what they saw God do in that place. And one of my favourite stories that they told us is they said they felt like the Lord said to them, you go after the poor. Don't go after the people who've got money. You go after the people who are poor and I will... Look, I will look after the church. I'll provide the money. And that was a very real need for them because they, their roof was in, in danger. It's one of these old buildings and they needed a quarter of a million pounds to repair the roof. And so they set about trying to do this. It's an obstacle that they had to overcome. Um, but they, they decided for them, the way they were going to do it is go door knocking. And they went knocking in the poorest part of their parish on the doors and, and trying to just make connections with people and say hi. And they said they had one afternoon where it was particularly depressing and everyone was really hostile and they felt really discouraged. And they went and stood by a bus stop and they just prayed to God and just said, please guide us, Lord. And they felt like they were meant to go to the local park. So they turned up at the local park and they said they found at the local park a group of year nine girls who were skiving off school. Not probably the most fruitful kind of like ground for the gospel that you would think, the most attentive audience. But they went over to this group of year nine girls anyway and started talking with them. And they felt like the Lord gave them some words of knowledge that turned out to be incredibly accurate for these girls. And these girls then became very open to that. And they, they asked to be prayed for. And so they prayed for these girls and these girls got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the girls started asking about baptism and insisting that they be baptized right there and then. So these guys went and bought some bottles of water from a local shop and baptized them there and then in the park. And they were saying it was absolutely incredible. Um, You know, it doesn't happen like that most times, but it was just one of those moments where God moved and they saw this wonderful stuff happen. And then the guy said, and then we went, I went back to um, the office and I checked my emails 
and I had an email from a, a lady in the church who just said, just so you know, I've been meaning to transfer some money to the church, but I, you know, I've been putting it off and I've just done it, um, just so you know. And he was like, oh, okay. And then he got an email half an hour later from the treasurer of the church saying, someone has just put a quarter of a million pounds into the church bank account. And they said to us, the Lord spoke to us and he said, you go after the poor and I'll look after the church. And for me, when I heard that on Friday, honestly, I was like, he's so faithful, isn't he? He's so faithful. And all of us here, we've got stories of his goodness over the years. Let's share them with each other. You know, if we're, if we're running a connect group, why not make the next connect group? Let's just talk about his faithfulness that we've seen him do over the years because our trust in him is refreshed and renewed in the face of the fear. And it's not just other people's stories. We'll have our own collection of stories of where we've seen him move and we've experienced his goodness. One of, mine, one of my favorite collections of stories of God's faithfulness is to do with my little boy, Caleb, who if you're part of the church, you may well know he's got a genetic disorder. I say he's had all sorts of challenges with his health. And, um, you know, I, I've got story after story after story of God providing in different ways as we sought him, whether it's the best surgeon happened to be available or this conduit that needed to go into his heart when he had a big heart operation just happened to be available, whether it's we just happened to bump into Christian nurses and doctors every single ward that we happen to be. Um, the latest answer to our prayers has been that he's been given one-on-one -on -one support. He's due to start nursery uh, in September. And, um, you, you know, every time there's a new challenge the honest truth is as his dad who loves him my first reaction is fear and that's normal but then what I've been trying to do is say hey but hang on a second let's let's talk about your faithfulness to us over the years Lord let's let's look at that and you know I remind myself of the fact that the surgeon said to us oh the second big heart operation typically is 18 months and the fact that two months ago he was three and he still hasn't had it yet and, and there are things like that that they they trust begins to take the place of fear because I, I remember again what he's like so the past is a great place to meditate that we might remember this is what he's like in the present. Second thing, and I'm just going to say these last two really quickly because I know you're wearing a furnace over your face and mouth. Um, the, second, the second one is the promises. Now God says to Israel, I promise you, you're going to be my people and I'll be your God. And I'm going to give you a land. Do you know what it's called? The promised land. So you accept it on the basis of a promise. And the thing about promises is they're only as good as the one who makes them. Um, if Mike came up to me and gave me a check for 10 million pounds, signed Mike Pilavachi, what would I do with that check? I would chuck it in the bin or use it as a face mask or something. It would be absolutely useless. But if Richard Branson flew down from outer space and gave me a check for 10 million pounds, I would be running to the bank. I would, I would take that to the bank and I would cash it. Why? Because of who signed it? Richard Branson. And I know he's good for it. A promise is only as good as the one who makes it. Well, he makes his promises in this book and you'll never find better ones because he, he is powerful enough, consider this, to form a universe with a word. And he is faithful enough to shed his blood for us. So we won't find better promises and to meditate and chew upon them is, is yet another way of just remembering again his goodness and his, his power and his compassion and his mercy. 
And here's the final thing we can do. We can pray. When fear comes and it takes over, we can pray. One of the things that really strikes me about Jesus and his story in Gethsemane, which is where he faced in many ways his great battle with the fear of the cross and everything involved, is, is in that moment he turns to his father. He doesn't try and get his fear sorted out and then come to the father. He comes to the father with all of the fear and, and he's just with him in that place. For me, so much of my fear comes from trying to control situations that are outside of my control. And it terrifies me. The stress at times is unbelievable, isn't it? Trying to control a world that's out of your control. Trying to help people where you know there's nothing you can actually do to fix it. Do you know where peace is found? It's found in knowing that he rules and he reigns supreme. And there is no fear too great or too small for us to bring to him. We give it to you, Lord. Usually a couple of hours later, I take it back off you, Lord, and I'll carry on stressing for a bit. And then I have to give it back to you again. Fear is a, is a formidable foe. It makes us forget our God. But it's one we can beat with his help. How? By putting him back at the center of the picture. Remember the past. Remember the stories by meditating on those promises for our future and by turning to him in prayer. Amen. Amen.